Welcome to Rebel Health Radio, bringing the best in alternative and integrative medicine to your ears. Well, hello everyone, or a warm welcome, as Dr. John Campbell would say. I'm a great fan of Dr. John. Um, if you haven't been watching him, he's been one of the main research-based advocates of a sensible policy uh, towards vaccination and protecting public health. And uh, today I want to talk a little bit about health, um, not specifically about uh, anything controversial, uh, although maybe you might think it is. I want to talk about the value of a diagnosis and what that means and why people seek it. So let's dive right in. Um, we're going to look at where the, the term diagnosis comes from, what it's supposed to mean, what it actually works out to be these days and why people are suffering because maybe they're not getting a, the right diagnosis or the diagnosis they're getting doesn't actually solve the problem. So the word diagnosis is an interesting, if you pick it apart, diagnosis. Um, to distinguish uh, is the first part, uh, one thing from another, the dia, we use it in many other um, terms, don't we? Um, if you think discern, um, it means something apart from something else. So it's, I guess, talking about how, you know, uh, health can diverge from uh, natural health towards illness or um, some form of problem. And, and so you're trying to discern that state from the natural state. You're trying to also see where that person is and to help them know uh, what is going on so the gnosis means to know and it's a really ancient word um comes from the greek actually um, um which obviously uh informed latin so um modern latin sort of developed from greek so to recognize or know um but it's no in a different way from cerebrally in my opinion um we know when we're not well don't we not because we know what is wrong with us necessarily, but we feel it because we've got body-based sensations coming up from the body, firing impulses to our back brain, the, the more ancient part of our brain saying, you know, you're, you're not well, you're not well, you need to rest. That's why we often find, for instance, if you come through COVID or some other horrible virus, you, you just don't feel like doing anything. And maybe your appetite goes down because your body needs all, all the energy for fighting the virus. And so, you have this sensation that something's not right and you you go to ground, go to bed. Like If, like me, I've just come through probably COVID, uh, didn't, didn't test, but um, think probably I had COVID. Um, just had to lie on the sofa. That was all I could do for uh, probably a week-ish um, because I didn't have energy to do anything else. Didn't have mental energy, didn't have um, physical energy. I could barely walk. Honestly, it was quite frightening. And it reminded me a lot of my clients. I deal with a lot of people who are going through chronic conditions. So unlike COVID or flu, um, which usually gets better with time, um, some conditions don't. I mean, in fact, long COVID is a, is a perfect example. That's something that you initially get the, the virus, but instead of the body being able to fully clear that and you restoring back to normal health, you end up with long-term fatigue and a, a sense of, um, I guess, ill health or, or not well, not being well. 
And again, it's this kind of inner knowing and, and you don't know what to do about it. And you turn to modern medicine, which says, you know, we have a pill for every ill. And um, usually you'll go to your your first line health, um, which will be your doctor. And they will hopefully diagnose you. Now, in the past, diagnosis was a bit of an art rather than a science. And you would look at what was called signs and symptoms and and signs were what were visible. So if you're flushed or, or you're sweaty, um, that would be a sign. Uh, a symptom, on the other hand, say you've got a raised temperature or high blood pressure, I would need to measure that as a doctor. I would need to investigate somehow to find out because it's not a visible symptom. It's something that is present, but we can't see it. Uh, and usually doctors prior to about the 1950s, 1960s, would have uh, a range of signs and symptoms which they would check off. And the vast majority of people would have a very limited set of conditions. There, I mean, diabetes, for instance, which is now endemic, um, was a rare condition in the early 1900s. Uh, heart disease, in fact, was also quite rare. These are all conditions of lifestyle and so what we've seen is a gradual shift from infectious diseases of the early 1900s up till, you know, antibiotics coming out uh, in the in the 40s and 50s and the diminishing of inf infectious diseases and the rise of chronic or long term conditions, which are dietary in the main. They're also related to stress uh, and a toxification of the body and the difficulty is modern medicine doesn't teach doctors to recognize toxification. It teaches them about how the liver cleanses the blood, the detoxification mechanisms, but it doesn't really look at the cumulative effects of uh, <clears throat> what you're absorbing in your environment, what your mother absorbed in your environment, uh, in her environment rather, and bequeathed to you when you were born because um particularly if you're the firstborn you tend to get a lot of the toxicity is is dumped literally into the child um and we don't know why that is perhaps it's because the child has a more vital system so can clear it better but some don't hence childhood cancers um and we we basically build up a lifetime of toxicity and particularly as women who have more body fat we tend to hold on to it. That's why you get fatter as you get older. And that's why um, extreme weight loss diets can make you very, very depressed uh, because the toxicity starts circulating to your brain. <clears throat> Excuse me, being croaky. That's the result of the, the COVID, I think, still. Um, and it basically, it, it, it goes throughout your system until it can be cleared. And sometimes it can't, so it's restored in your fat. So... Um, men and women both suffer from this, but women tend to uh, have the, the vast majority of long term chronic illness. And we're seeing that, you know, six, six to one, eight to one in different conditions. The ones I work with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. So it's a female it's more of a female problem. And I think, therefore, um, doctors are doing their best to identify these diseases but they often get them wrong or they misdiagnose because it's not 
an exact science, and particularly with these long-term chronic conditions, it's usually a diagnosis of exclusion. Now, let me explain what that means. You, you basically, you can't, there's no one test for chronic fatigue syndrome or long COVID. Um, what you have to do is rule out other conditions that might mimic that until you've not found them. And then you can say, I think it's chronic fatigue syndrome or it's long COVID or it's fibromyalgia. And so that's the diagnosis of exclusion. It sort of goes through everything else, uh, an array of tests uh, to test your blood levels of various uh, hormones and uh, uh, enzymes. This is what happened to me. And then eventually you get your diagnosis and you hope, right, well, now I know what it is. Now, what's the plan? And this is where things fall apart, really. Um, now, if you have diabetes or arthritis or let's think any other common illness, heart disease, um, that diagnosis does have a pathway. It does have a pathway. It will um, result probably in you going on medication, probably for the rest of your life. Chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia are not diseases that have a particular pathway. I mean, um, we are improving in that and we are giving people uh, much more of a emotional, psychological support to go to, you know, deal with what they're dealing with. But it's really about managing the condition for the rest of your life when nobody talks about the fact that you could recover from it. Um, but it disappoints a lot of people because they think once they have the diagnosis, then they're going to come to a, a, a strategy and there usually isn't one. And that is also mirrored in mental health diagnoses. And I want to come on to that a little bit, too, because mental health is the unfortunately it's it's. It's the part of the health system that receives the least funding, despite there being the most need. Things like anxiety and depression and um, ADHD and bipolar have become really uh, another source of endemic disease now because they're also linked to toxicity and stress and all the same things because the mind is part of the body, although we tend to assume it's a separate department. Um, it's connected to the body through uh, Blood, the blood supply, the cerebrospinal fluid, you've got nerve signals, you've got the microbiome, which is all your um, bugs that live in your gut, but they also travel around your body, you know, affecting your brain. Um, and, and certainly uh, the, the metabolites, they're called the things that the bugs produce and can cross the blood brain barrier. That's how they induce certain um, states of uh, addiction and cravings. So, <clears throat> the, the whole thing is a connected system and that's what you have to understand and and so diagnosing a mental health condition is even more difficult I would say than a physical one because there's such a lot of overlap between for instance um, autism spectrum disorders to uh, ADHD is a lot of crossover with that and of course high sensitivity which I talked about in my last video which um, is not a disorder, I have to say it's not a disorder, it's a personality trait, but it has a lot of crossover. And so a lot of people who have high sensitivity or sensory processing disorder can be misdiagnosed with ADHD or autism. And so uh, that leads to the wrong treatment, as you can imagine, and people end up suffering even more than they would have done had they not had the diagnosis. So it's a really imperfect 
art which has to be practiced this is why doctors take years to get really good because they learn the theory but then they have to see it in practice every day to kind of really hone their skills and it's not an easy thing to do and I really feel for people who are very attached to their diagnosis because you know particularly with mental health conditions I can see why it helps explain the way you feel and it also helps explain to your friends and family the way you are and therefore you get more support for your your experience and you feel validated that's the important point you feel validated in your experience and you feel like you can ask for different treatment and so feeling like you were misunderstood before and now it's all been explained is a very powerful reason to seek a diagnosis but the process can be very traumatizing and I just want to um, give you a little flavor of this from an experience of one of my clients who said I can share her experience um, which is you go if you if you want to be diagnosed for autism particularly as a female, it's a very onerous process. You get an initial interview and then you get a secondary one with over 96 questions, which the first interview I think takes about two, two and a half hours. The second one can be up to three hours and you'll have a nurse sit down with you or another practitioner and, and go through these 96 questions. And Some of them are very general and because um, most autism has been focused on males and how males present, uh, some of the questions are not relevant for women and don't isn't how women present autistically. So things like, you know, do you are you an avid collector? You know, uh, uh, do you um, obsess about things? Do you have to have things in order? Um, is not always the way girls and women express their autism because they're much better at masking or mimicking. And so um, they will react in ways that are expected rather than in the ways they actually feel. And and so the experience of my client was that uh, the actual experience of going through those questions was awful for her because she real she felt she was failing to uh, answer the questions correctly now you may say what's correct but it's it, the mind is telling you this person is going to give me my diagnosis this procedure is going to lead to my salvation it's going to explain to my friends and family exactly why i am the way i am so i've got to get it right And then you're presented with a series of questions that don't really relate to your life experience because they're very, they're broad, they're general, and they're not gender specific. This is my major problem with it. Uh, And so she's going through the process and answering these questions, honestly, because she can't lie. She tells me, I I just, I can't lie. That's, That's just not something I can do and live with. And so she's realizing as, as they go on that this autism diagnosis is unlikely to be given because she can feel like the nurse is saying, oh, okay, but that doesn't seem relevant. You know, so she's crossing it off. And and my client desperately wants to be told, yes, you have autism spectrum disorder, because then she gets this validation. And so the process itself has caused such a lot of trauma, because now she feels she's more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD, which is a very different although it has a lot of crossover, a very different um, result because it's very likely she'll be put on um, drugs to kind of 
stabilize or ground her. Um, things like Ritalin, for instance, are, are well known even for adults. And she doesn't want to go that route. Um, one of the reasons she came to see me was because she'd always felt wrong in her life, always a, a misfit outsider. These are all terms, a freak perhaps, that some of us feel who've been uh, neurologically different from other people. Um, and she wanted to learn, but also to help kind of deal with some of the trauma that caused that. And my first thought was you need grounding. So I agreed with the nurse, funnily enough, although we're in completely different fields and we don't talk to each other, um, that grounding is essential for people who've long lived in their heads. You know, all they do is think, imagine, fantasize, sometimes in negative ways. And so ground, you have to come into your body and you have to come into connection with the earth. So um, as I've talked about before, you know, nature connectedness, walking, getting sunlight, uh, even just being touched, which is such a powerful grounding. Um, but certainly walking barefoot when you can, swimming in natural water, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we have to come allow the person to kind of start to integrate their body and their mind because usually they'll have dissociated um, away from their bodies that's that's unfortunately the result of trauma so it it is a process by which modern medicine has to distinguish something before it can treat something if it can treat it at all and the difference with holistic medicine or natural medicine is that we treat the person and not the condition. And so I say to her, yes, you need grounding. Yes, you have trauma. I don't actually care that much. I don't, it's not that I don't care. But the diagnosis to me is not as relevant. And, and really what we're dealing with is the person who's expressing this particular set of characteristics. And we have to find a way through that can help harmonize the body because that's what really has gone wrong. The body is not just a physical thing. It's a, it's biophysically, it's emanating vibration and it's vibrating and, and our cells are vibrating and our DNA is vibrating. And, and these are signals to the rest of the body to harmonically control. And when that goes wrong or gets blocked in some way, usually by trauma or some emotional blockage, uh, the body can't, can't harmonically balance itself and so that's what goes wrong uh, and we see disease as a result of that and you know you might think well that can't be true of physical diseases like cancer well it absolutely is um, cancer is a, a, a result of uncontrolled growth you think about that so why has control been lost why has the cellular machinery resorted to doubling instead of the harmonic growth, which is based on a phi ratio, the golden ratio of 1.618. Uh, I talked about that uh, in a previous video as well, um, looking at the, the meaning of numbers. So this relates directly to how the body functions in this world through the power of um, resonance. And so nobody asks the question, why is it that harmonic resonance is lost? Well, that's what I deal with to a large extent. So toxicity is one thing, emotional um, blockage, emotional uh, 
kind of irresolution. You know, you've got something that you're not dealing with, you don't know how to deal with, something that hurt you. And it's usually a, several things in your life that have not been processed properly. And emotions, as I've said many times, are not just feelings. They are in they are physiological regulators that allow the body to transfer information. Um, and so a feeling of joy, for instance, is a great harmonizer. Feeling fear is the opposite. Feeling hatred or despair is the opposite. And it, it dysregulates the body. So all disease has a mind, body, spirit component. There is no disease that occurs to a human being that doesn't have those three arms. So it's never one thing. And you could say, well, what if you got a virus that infected you? Um, that's surely just physical. Well, no, because your susceptibility is determined by your emotional state and particularly your immune system. Um, and so I got COVID. Uh, I started to get through it quite well until I overdid it, pushed through, which is my normal habitual response. And within a day, I went really downhill very fast because my immune system didn't have the energy to deal with that and this kind of pressure that I was putting myself under. I've got to get well. I've got to get well. And, and that's what happens with long COVID. And I very luckily uh, recognized that. And that's when I canceled everything um, for a week, at least, to allow my body to recover. And that's where people often don't take control of that because they're under so much stress to perform. So mental and physical health are not distinguished um, holistically. They are part of the bigger picture. And the disharmony of the body is something you have to look at and know what to do to bring yourself back into harmony, whether that's um, <laughs> going to make you laugh now, probably singing, um, uh, because singing is very, very toning to the vagal system, um, being with people who make you feel good, uh, getting out into nature, um, looking after animals, which are, who are, you know, very uh, soul enhancing and lots of ways to bring harmony back. But you have to look at it as as a, a whole. You can't just sort of cherry pick things and say that that'll do it. it. It's each person is individual. And that's how I work anyway. So diagnosis is not everything, folks it sometimes leads to even more trauma. And so I think we have to get out of this thinking that is all or nothing and into a sense of where am I? What does this mean? What do I need to do? And sometimes that takes a bit of work and it takes a bit of time and getting uh, one answer, an easy answer, like, you know, you have this condition or you're in this situation is, is not going to be enough. Um, I'll stop there. I do want to do another one. I want to do another one on identity because I think identity is another easy, easy thing to think if you've focused on an identity that that can solve the problem. Uh, but for now, I'm going to say have a lovely day, lovely week and take care of yourselves and do get in touch. It'd be lovely to hear from you. I'll put the links below. Take care. Bye bye. Hey, hope you enjoyed listening to Rebel Health Radio. Do subscribe and look forward to catching you soon.